just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers. It's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. We are back on the Rational Boomer Podcast. Hope your day is going well. We're in the middle of a weekend. Hopefully we'll all have a chance to enjoy our lives a little bit, have some fun, get rid of the stress for a little bit. Now, before I get into the show, there's a couple of things I wanted to bring up. Yesterday, I did a second show, an extra show. And if you haven't listened to it, I want you to do that. It was the first show I've ever done with a guest. Every show I've done with the Rational Boomer Podcast, 232 shows, it's always been just me. And it wasn't by design necessarily. It was just going to be tough to get a co-host who felt confident about speaking out like I do and could be available as much as I needed. And the same with guests. You know, it's, it's, it's hard to line all that stuff up. But I may do more of that. Anyway, Ed Jones is somebody i known for years, 25 years probably. And I spent 25 years with him on the radio in different capacities. So Ed and I have known each other a long time. We have a good rapport. Ed Jones is the epitome of a rational boomer. He is a liberal. Uh, He's from the South, which is interesting. He lived in Minnesota for a number of years, and now he's retired back in Tennessee, strictly because it's cheaper to live in Tennessee. But I was talking to him one day, and it didn't sound like he was doing much, and I said, hey, you should come on the show. And he was all for it. He loves being on the radio. He's also an actor and that sort of thing. Uh, So we were trying to figure out how to get that done technologically and timing and all that stuff. And fortunately, yesterday, I was able to do that. And I was able to put together that podcast pretty quickly and get it out there. And I put it out there looking for feedback uh, because... I'd like to incorporate Ed more into the program, maybe not every day. Uh, It's not going to change the podcast, but uh, maybe once a week or once every couple weeks, whatever works out. And I wanted to see what you thought. After doing the podcast and listening to parts of the podcast after the fact, I think it sounded pretty good. I think he and I have, a, as I say, a good rapport and we're on the same level as far as what we believe and what we hope for for this country. So... All I'm saying is, if you haven't listened to that podcast, go to the previous podcast, give it a listen, and let me know what you think. Now, the other thing I wanted to talk about, and I find this kind of funny, uh, but I learned something about myself in this particular instance. Now, back in the days when I was working at the radio station where I was working with Ed Jones, uh, this was also a training ground for some younger people who want to get into radio. I'm older, I'm an adult, and there's some kids running around doing stuff, you know, kind of helping out, maybe doing some quick things on the air, trying to learn the craft, if you will. And uh, there was this one kid, and uh, he was pretty awkward, kind of nerdy, a little uncertain of himself, and uh, (laughs) and I always felt bad for him, because I knew he didn't have the stuff to be in radio. He really... He really didn't have the personality to do it, but he was trying very hard, and I, 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 I felt sorry for him. So I always tried to lend a hand and try to help him out if I could. We'll speed ahead several years later. 
he's now an adult. <laughs> and I'm doing videos and writing things on Facebook. And for four years, I was writing about Donald Trump and ripping him apart. Big surprise, huh? Now that you hear what I say on TikTok and on the Rational Boomer podcast. And it was going fine, and I had the regular trolls that would come in and uh, give me shit. It was no big deal. I didn't care. But then all of a sudden, this kid, this nerd, this guy I felt sorry for and wanted to protect started showing up on my posts. And it turns out he's a fucking huge Trump humper. <laughs> so in spite of the fact that I did everything I could to help him back in the day, now he's coming there to battle with me. And and to be perfectly honest with you... Um, I was in a tough spot with that because he is so, I don't know what to say, he's so nerdy and he's so low-key. I felt like if I went after him, if I tried to protect my point of view, it would be like kicking a puppy and I would get a lot of heat from people thinking I'm picking on this guy. So I gave him a lot of, a lot of uh, sway, if you will. I never really argued with him much. Um, and then he starts a podcast. This is long before I ever started the podcast. And um, I'm thinking, oh, this poor fuck. Nobody wants to listen to this clown. It's, it's, it's. I listen to the podcast, and, and of course the shit he's talking about is just absolutely ridiculous. It's all Trump propaganda and rhetoric, and he doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. But then you add to the point that he's this monotone, very bad at broadcasting, and I couldn't listen to it. But I didn't say anything to him. I wasn't going to kick the puppy. I just let it go. <laughs> and then one day, he, he gets on my page, and he, he's trying to uh, come at me, if you will. And I said, well, here's the deal. If you really think you want to interact like this, why don't you have me on your podcast? I'm thinking nobody listens to the fucking thing anyway, so... I don't care, but it'll be a chance that I can go head-to-head -head with this kid, and it will be on his terms. <laughs> so he says, sure, I'll talk to you on my podcast. <laughs> and then for a month after that, he says, well, I'm having technical problems. I'm not able to do this. I can't get you on. How about if we recorded ahead of time? I said, no, no, no. <laughs> I don't want you editing anything I fucking say. Not that I thought he really had the ability to do that, but I didn't want to give him any leeway because I know what these Trump humpers do. Well, it turns out I never ended up on his podcast, <laughs> and that's fine. He didn't really mean much to me. He isn't having much impact. He's got no followers, and, and uh, he's bad at what he does. So then one day recently, Somebody who's a listener of the podcast, and I appreciate it very much, made a comment on Twitter and said, hey, I listened to this podcast. I like this guy. You should listen. And I appreciate the shout out. And I said so to the gentleman on Twitter. Now, I have a Twitter account, but I don't ever put anything on it. So don't go running there thinking there's any content because there isn't. I have content on Instagram, but it's the same shit as what you get on TikTok. So take that for what it's worth. So anyway, this guy gives me a shout-out on Twitter. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, I get somebody coming in on my message to the guy who tweeted about my podcast. 
And it's this fucking little kid. He's not a kid anymore. He's like 40, 45. Uh, but he comes on. <laughs> And he's all cocky and shit. He says, oh, Mike, I, I didn't hear you had a podcast. <laughs> he said, I listened to it. You swear a lot. I thought you'd be more professional than that. By the way, I got all kinds of listeners. So he's trying to put this in my face. Now, the moment he says to me, I thought you were more professional than that, that's a trigger for me. I've done this a long time. I kind of know what I'm doing, and I know he doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. The audacity of this dipshit coming to me and saying, I'm not professional, when he can't even carry on a conversation or complete a fucking sentence. So in my head, I'm saying, I'm going to go after this motherfucker. I'm going to tear his ass apart. (laughs) Then I started thinking about the Will Smith thing, and I thought... It's not really worth it. I mean, this kid, uh, if this is what he needs to do to gain confidence, God bless him. I don't give a fuck. He doesn't affect anything I do. He has no power to do anything. It's just a natural reaction from somebody when somebody uh, confronts you or attacks you that you want to hit back. And I'm not going to do it with this kid because, frankly, all that will do is give him attention that he can't get on his own. That's what a lot of people do uh, when they troll you on TikTok. You always find out they have no followers, they have no content, they have no nothing. But they show up on your post and they say something hoping they will start something that they will get attention and hopefully get followers and that sort of thing. And I learned a long time ago on TikTok, don't even do it. I know you want to kill them. I know you want to verbally attack them. That's just my mindset. But I'm just giving them what they want. I'm giving them attention that they can't get on their own, and I'm stupid for doing it. So I have to remind myself, don't be caught in that trap. It's not a fucking good idea, (laughs) but I still find it funny. I went and listened to this kid's podcast. I think, well, it's been a few years. Maybe he's gotten better. I mean, I'm sure he's still spewing this Trump bullshit, but... I'm going to listen and see if he's gotten any better. No, he hasn't gotten any better. He's fucking horrible. And I'm not even going to give you the name of the podcast or the name of the guy because it's a waste of your time, and I don't want anybody attacking him because it's not fucking worth it. Give me an idea how talented this guy is. (laughs) Now, this is just between you and me. I haven't said it to him. He was in this program where he was learning to be a broadcaster, and he was pretty bad at it. And when he graduated from this program, he was so talented and so sought after, his first job he landed was uh, in a major discount store. They let him use the mic from time to time and say, hey, there's a blue light special, but that's all he could do. In fact, I don't even know this kid even ever worked in radio. But because of that experience 20 years ago, he thinks, well, fuck, I can do a podcast. And that's the thing about podcasts. And that's the thing I like about podcasts. Anybody can do them because there are so many people out there that don't have radio experience that do a great job. Fact is, podcasts shouldn't be like radio shows at all. It's a much different vehicle. And if you're trying to do a podcast like a radio show, you're doing it wrong. And that's the other part about this kid. As much as he's bad at it, he's trying to do it like a radio show. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's kind of funny. I want so bad to hammer this kid, I could tear him apart. 
but I just can't do it. I can't do it. And it's not even that I feel sorry for him now. I just don't want to give him the, t- the attention. Okay, I got that off my chest. Let's talk about what is happening in the world today. On Monday, the U.S. House of Representatives will vote on the confirmation of Katanji Brown-Jackson as a Supreme Court justice. Now, in spite of the disrespect showed her by several Republicans, she showed nothing but maturity, composure, integrity, and intelligence. Oh, they baited her. They went after her, but she never changed an inch. She knew the game. I mean, she'd been under these kind of confirmation hearings three times previously. Some of these fucking people that are attacking her voted to confirm her in previous jobs. That's how ridiculous and how pointless these people are. They have no integrity, no credibility. They're just doing what they do to put on a show for the TV cameras so that they might get some attention or a sound bite someplace so they could maybe get some more exposure and get elected. It's not about what's right for the country or who's right for a job like a Supreme Court justice. They just want their fucking FaceTime. So when the votes come in the House, I guarantee you the House of Representatives will vote to confirm Katanji Brown-Jackson. There's enough of a majority in the Democrats that she will be voted to be confirmed in the House. Now, at some point after that, the Senate will vote. It'll be their turn to vote on it. And while it'll be likely a tighter vote, because we've only got, what, 100 people in the Senate, and it's almost a 50-50 split, it is a 50-50 split, you can bet uh, most dem- most. All Democrats will vote for Katanji Brown-Jackson. And there'll be some Republicans in the Senate that vote for it too, but the vast majority won't. Now, the fact of the matter is it's all pretty much set um, that she's going to pass in the Senate too. That's a foregone conclusion. So Katanji Brown-Jackson will be elected or confirmed as the first black woman as a Supreme Court justice. And that's a huge fucking deal. That's a huge deal. And as I've said so many times before, she is probably the most qualified nominee to be named Supreme Court justice. She's more qualified than anybody we've seen in our lifetimes. And of course, the Republicans say, how can you say that? Well, she just has more experience than all the previous nominees. She's worked at several levels in in law. She's been judges in separate levels. She's been... She's been a federal public defender. She's just got more experience than everybody else that uh, has been nominated, especially the last three clowns that the Republicans have shoved down the throats of the Democrats. So this is a big deal. It's a great time in our history to see this. Now, while it won't change or affect the majority, 
it will still be 6-3 to three split for conservatives. It does mark the turnover in the court and in the power of old white men on the Supreme Court. You can see it already. Old white men are starting to fade away. They're still there, of course. We've got John Robert. We've got Kavanaugh. We've got some other folks. But now we're seeing some changes, and the Republicans know that this is coming. They're doing everything they can to fight against it, but they can't. The old white men are dying off. We're getting the younger people in. We're getting people of color, people of different ethnicities, people of different religions, people of different uh, sexual orientations. And ultimately, those folks will be in a position of power, and the old white men will be set aside if they don't die before that. So that's the good news. The bad news is that this transition is going to take a while. I mean, these fuckers get jobs that are guaranteed for life. So some of these idiots are going to stay in their position till they die. And that could be 20, 30, 40 years from now. So we're stuck with those Supreme Court justices. But at least it's good to know the transition is starting. We're seeing a change in the Supreme Court. Now, whether it be conservative or Democrat doesn't make as much difference as we get a proper representation of what America is in our Supreme Court. Our Supreme Court has a lot of problems right now. We'll talk about that in a bit. But at least we're seeing some positive changes there. And if you're worried about Katanji Brown-Jackson being... uh, Confirmed? Don't, because she will get confirmed, and she will take the seat on the Supreme Court. All right, New York Attorney General Letitia James, we love her. She came out with information uh, showing that Donald Trump's criminal actions continued for more than 10 years. Now, in that time, Donald Trump and his company have been falsifying financial records. We've talked about this before. Now, he did these crimes in order to secure loans, to uh, defraud insurance companies, and the uh, federal government in terms of taxes. I'll give you an example here. Donald Trump valued apartments that he owned at $49 million dollars which ends up being about 66 times more the actual appraised value of said apartments. The actual appraised value of those apartments is $750,000. But instead, he went out and tried to sell the fact that it was worth $49 million. So when it comes to securing a loan as collateral or making insurance claims... It was worth, in their mind, nearly $50 million. But when it came to taxes, they claimed the appraised value of $750,000. You see what's going on here. He's adjusting the values, and he's doing it willy-nilly to whatever benefits him in a given situation. If he's trying to get a loan and he needs collateral, a $50 million apartment building is big collateral for him to get whatever money he wants. He can put it up as collateral. Or if he has insurance claims or he wants to cover something, covering a, or, or having claims on a $50 million comp, uh, building is, is far more valuable than a $750,000 building. 
But at the same time, when it came around to taxes, and he had to pay taxes on said building, yeah, it's only $750,000. Now, what you need to understand, Donald Trump didn't do it just that one time. He did it all the time with everything. They valued their property, whatever they wanted, whenever they wanted, as long as it benefited them. Now, what they call this in legal terms is bank fraud, insurance fraud, and tax fraud. Now, this is a fucking serious crime. These are crimes that people like you and me would go to jail for, quite frankly. And I found it interesting that she exposed this information. Keep in mind, what Letitia James is doing is purely civil. So whatever the finding, if Donald Trump is guilty, he's not going to go to jail for what Letitia James is doing. He's going to be fined, and he may be fined to the point where it breaks him. He's bankrupt, and he's got nowhere to go. So I'm all for Letitia James doing whatever the fuck she's doing. But why did she put that out there right now? And I personally think that it might be kind of a thumb in the eye to Elvin Bragg, the DA of the Manhattan District. Remember, he's the one that's backing off uh, charging or indicting Donald Trump. Now, before Elvin Bragg got there, of course, the Trump Organization and the Trump Organization CFO have been indicted. That's with the DOJ now. But when it came down to it, they had to decide whether or not they were going to indict Donald Trump. Now, the previous DA, Cyrus Vance, felt there was enough evidence to indict Donald Trump. So he brought in these two hotshot lawyers to finish it up. And these two hotshot lawyers felt as though they had enough evidence and that Donald Trump himself had committed multiple crimes. So when Alvin Bragg took over, everybody thought, well, the process will continue and we will indict Donald Trump until Alvin Bragg came out and said, yeah, I don't think that's a good idea. And why he did that? Well, it's probably he's concerned about his image or people's perception of him because he's going to want to get reelected sometime down the road. Turns out now everybody's turning on him for not pursuing Donald Trump. We still don't know if that's what he's going to do. So Letitia James comes out, even though her cases are civil, she throws out all this criminal information. And I'm sure that's to embarrass Elvin Bragg, and it probably does. But here's one other thing that could happen uh, with what's going on in the Manhattan district. Now, Elvin Bragg can say, oh, I don't want to prosecute Donald Trump because I'm a wuss. (laughs) But what also could happen is they could refer that criminal complaint or complaints to Attorney General Letitia James or the Southern District of New York. They could say, I don't want to fuck with this, but you guys take it. And then that would change everything for Letitia James if it went to the attorney general's office. She has the case for civil cases, but she could also have the ability to take on the criminal part of it. Now, keep in mind, Letitia James and the Manhattan District with Cybers Vance agreed to work on this together. Remember, they were going to share information and evidence and uh, and. Uh, people they deposed, they were working on it together. Uh, 
So I'm sure Letitia James is a little annoyed about this because she knows all the facts that everybody knows in the Manhattan District, and I'm sure she feels the same way. They should pursue Donald Trump. So maybe what she's trying to do, and I don't know this for sure, I'm just trying to take a look at the situation and see why people do what they do. But maybe Letitia James is trying to embarrass him either to push forward and actually go after Donald Trump, or maybe she's trying to push him so he refers it to her. You know, basically saying, well, you think you're so tough. You think you know what you're doing. Why don't you take it? And I got to think somebody like Letitia James would love that. In fact, I think the reason why Letitia James isn't looking at the criminal aspects of this case is because no doubt Cyrus Vance said, look, We got the criminal. You handle the civil, and we'll bury this motherfucker. Well, Cyrus Vance is gone. He's retired. Elvin Bragg is in, and now they're saying, now we're going to back off. So maybe Letitia James wants to get a hold of the criminal case as well. She's a tough woman. She's a smart woman, and she's going to nail Donald Trump. And if Elvin Bragg doesn't have the courage to go after Donald Trump, to indict and prosecute Donald Trump, well, then get off your fucking hands, refer it to Letitia James, and let a real attorney fucking handle this shit. That seems like the best choice. Now, I'm just supposing here, I don't know any facts, but I'm hoping against hope that that's what's going on. And I guess we'll see. Time will tell. But if you're worried about the Manhattan District not going after Donald Trump, trust that there's plenty of other shit going on. Something's going to stick to Donald Trump, and it only takes one thing to take him down. And what's going on with the January 6th House Select Committee, and now we're hearing about more things with the DOJ. There was a lot of talk that Merrick Garland isn't doing anything. And now the things we're hearing suggest, well, yeah, he is doing some things. They're talking to the people that are much closer to Donald Trump about the funding and the planning of the rally prior to the insurrection. They aren't doing that because those are the targets. They're doing that because Donald Trump is the fucking target. Rudy Giuliani is the target. So this is all playing out, and I know people get anxious. and They say, why isn't done? Why isn't done? There's a lot of game playing. There's a lot of time involved in doing this. But everything I see, the DOJ adding 131 new attorneys, them going after and uh, setting up a grand jury. We didn't even know they had a grand jury, but now we do know the DOJ has a grand jury with regards to the insurrection. That's all good news. You don't have a grand jury unless you have an intention of indicting people. You take the evidence to the grand jury and they say, yeah, go ahead, indict that guy. So you know indictments are coming. Mayor Garland took a lot of heat. He's not acting fast enough. But at least we know he's doing something. And that makes us more comfortable. All right, let's take a break. We'll be right back. All right, let's turn to the Russia-Ukraine war. There's still all kinds of things going on. And we got some interesting news later yesterday. Russia has accused Ukraine of bombing an oil depot about 25 miles north of the Ukrainian border. It's in the town of uh, Belgorod, is what it's called. 
And apparently what Russia is telling us is that Ukrainian helicopters crossed the border, went over to Belgorod, bombed this oil depot, which is kind of critical. This is where a lot of the fuel is coming from to supply the people in Ukraine, the the fighters in Ukraine. So it's kind of an important spot. And uh, they say that Ukraine has bombed that oil depot. This actually set off kind of a panic in Russia, in Western Russia anyway. And Russia announced a state of emergency for Western Russia, limiting Russians' purchasing of gas to just 15 liters. People saw this happen, and they're going, oh, shit. Maybe some of them thought, see, Ukraine's a bunch of assholes. They're coming after us. We should be fighting them. But they're seeing this attack in Russia, and it's kind of unprecedented. So when they took out this oil depot, people were freaking out. We're going to run out of gas. You know, it's like a storm in the United States. You tell somebody snow's coming and the fucking grocery stores are packed because everybody's going to think they're going to be trapped for days. Never turns out that way, but people do it unless you're in Texas, of course. That's a fucking different deal. Anyway, <laughs> so people freaked out. We're buying up gas, a lot of gas. And Russia determined that it was a state of emergency, and they're limiting people in Western Russia uh, to 15 liters of gas. I don't even know what that is. 15 gallons, close to that, 20 gallons, something like that. Doesn't matter. But Russia is concerned about it because they shot down, they took apart a an oil depot. Now. Who really bombed the oil depot is certainly is certainly in question. I mean, who did it? And you're probably saying, what do you mean? It's certainly possible that Russia bombed themselves as kind of a false flag operation. And I'll tell you why. First of all, Russia has done shit like this before, the false flag type situation, in order to further their narrative. And right now it's becoming harder for Vladimir Putin to sell said narrative in his country. You remember what he told his people, and he was trying to gaslight them. He said, you know, Ukraine is being run by a bunch of drug-addled Nazis, and they're attacking us. So we're just doing what we need to do in protecting ourselves. That's all we're doing. Well, those of us on the outside world know that's not true. It's just an evil fuck going in. Uh, devastating a peaceful country and killing innocent men, women, and children, leveling cities and murdering people. But he's trying to sell it to his own people as, oh, we're the heroes here. And that's important to him because his image inside Russia is crucial to him continuing to do his job. Now, of course, the military and the government know kind of what's going on. And uh, so Vladimir Putin is really kind of in a desperate situation. He's losing ground. He's losing support in Russia. And in an authoritarian country, that is a problem. We saw it with Mussolini. We saw it with Ceausescu. These guys are the strong men. But when people turn against you in your own country, things don't go well for you. You end up out of office, 
And if you're really unlucky, you end up dead in a bad fucking way. And I know Vladimir Putin is thinking about this. His ego's too big. His narcissism is too wide. And he can't give in. He can't step back. He can't do anything other than keep pushing forward. Unfortunately, as he pushes forward, he just becoming, he's becoming closer to his own destruction. He maybe even kind of knows that. It's just not in him to step back and say, hey, I fucked up. Let's not do this anymore. He's going to keep pushing until he wins. But the fact of the matter is he's not going to win this situation. It's always the case with narcissists. They go into a spiral and they ultimately crash. They always crash. It never ends up well for them. So a lot of people think, and I thought at first, and I still kind of think, that it was a false flag operation, that Vladimir Putin had his own oil depot bombs so he could go back to the citizens of Russia and say, see, I told you. You know, it's the same kind of shit that the Republicans have done in this country on a smaller scale, and they're not bombing anything technically, but they like to gaslight people. And that's what Vladimir Putin, in my mind, is trying to do with this bombing of the oil deposit. But there's another way to look at this, too. At the same time, when Ukrainian officials were asked if they bombed, the oil uh, depot in Russia, what they said was kind of telling. They said, we can neither confirm or deny that. <laughs> now, when somebody says that, it's almost certain, yeah, we fucking did it. They're not going to say they did it, but they're not going to deny it either. That's a tip-off that maybe they did it. Now, that is conceivable, too. They have Russians on the run right now. They're pushing Russians back. They're getting a little um, confident here, if not cocky. And they're thinking, okay, you want to fuck with us? We're going to start pushing you back because you're weak and you're not doing uh, what you think you're going to do. So now we're really going to piss on your parade by going bombing one of your oil depots in your own country. That's kind of an in-your-face move. Now, my original thought of this was, where do they have time to do this? Their cities are being leveled. People are being murdered. They're all over the place, the Russians in Ukraine. And somehow they get two helicopters to cross the border, go 25 miles in and bomb an oil depot? Are you telling me Russia has no better security than that? These two helicopters had no problem crossing the border in the middle of a fucking war and bombed this depot. You can see where I think it's got to be a false flag. But at the same time, that's kind of a bold move from Ukraine. And what we know about Zelensky, yeah, he's not opposed to doing that shit. He's a little confident in his own right. And of course, Zelensky had some other problems. He ended up firing some generals because he felt that they were... Uh, involved in some traitorous behavior. I don't know if that's true. I don't know what happened, but apparently Zelensky thought it was the case, and he did what he had to do. This oil depot thing is interesting. You can bet that Russia is going to use it to their benefit. 
they're going to see it as an attack, and they're going to try to ramp things up. Unfortunately, they have no supplies. They're running out of ammunition. They've got poor morale with their soldiers. Uh, I don't know what they think they're going to do. Are they trying to inspire the soldiers and try to get them to get their morale up? I don't know. It's a very confusing thing. And unfortunately, when we're talking about geopolitical shit, you can't always tell what's going on. What's in your face isn't always true. There are all these fucking games. And of course, Vladimir Putin is the king of fucking games. It's going to be interesting to see how this all shakes out. There's enough other shit where it may just go by the wayside. But if we see another attack in Russia... Let's pay close attention to see who did it, why they did it, and what the impact was. Vladimir Putin may not be done with false flags, and the Ukrainians might not be done with uh, shoving it in their face. So you ask me, which was it, false flag, or did Ukraine really do it? I don't fucking know. I honestly don't know. It could have gone either way. So we'll see what happens. All right, the jobs number, the jobs numbers for March are in. You know how well it went last month. It was awesome. And once again, they are incredible for March. Now, in March, the United States added 431,000 jobs. That's truly amazing. The unemployment rate dropped again, now down to 3.6%. And wages are up. 5.6%. Now, that sounds really good, but we have a downside to this whole thing. While wages are up 5.6%, the downside is that inflation is up to 7.9%. So all that extra money that people are getting are getting eaten up by inflation, and so they're losing 2.3%. So that's something you have to seriously look at and consider. Now, the other big news is that uh, the U.S., in two years since Joe Biden's been in office, 93% of all pandemic, pre-pandemic jobs are back. We're almost back to normal. During the pandemic, a lot of jobs were lost, a lot of problems were occurring, but we are pushing back. We are fighting back. And of the jobs that we had pre-pandemic, 93% are back. That is a pretty amazing number when you think about it. Now, during the pandemic, it would have been hard to imagine being where we are now. I mean, I think when the pandemic started, there was no question. When we came out of it, this country would be totally different. And it is. Some things are positive. Some things are negative. But when we lost as much as we did in terms of jobs, the idea that we could come back from it in two years and almost bring back every job we lost prior to the pandemic, that is truly amazing. And that is something you have to credit Joe Biden with. Now, Joe Biden, when he had these problems when he came into office, and and I got to tell you, there's been very few presidents who have come into office that have had more on their plate than Joe Biden. He had a lot of things to fix. Now, he doesn't get credit in the polls, but he's done some amazing things. The stock market is great. We've got jobs in the best position we've seen it in years. 
Joe Biden's created almost 8 million jobs in the time he's been in office. And I have to remind you, (laughs) I know you remember, but of course Donald Trump lost 2.9 million jobs in his four years. And they'll say, well, that's not fair because of the pandemic. Well, I still blame Donald Trump for losing 2.9 million jobs. And here's my thinking. When the pandemic hit, had he done something, had he not called it a hoax, had he actually used some of the strategies that were already laid out in the commission that was supposed to handle it, the pandemic would have been nothing like we went through. It would have been easier. We would have handled it better. So because Donald Trump was negligent with the pandemic, I have to hang that 2.9 million job loss on his shoulders. It wouldn't have occurred had Donald Trump did fucking anything. See, Donald Trump doesn't understand what it is to do a job. He likes the big positions. He likes the uh, he likes the uh, the prestige of being who he is, but he doesn't want to do any work. He's a lazy motherfucker, and that's why he always fails in everything he does. He just pulls stuff out of his ass, says things, hopes people will think he's a genius, and then it all falls apart because nothing he's ever done has been successful. So when he became president, there were real problems, and these real problems had consequences, and he's not used to having consequences. He's used to blaming it on somebody else, but he's the president, the most powerful man in the world. When things get fucked up, what did Harry Truman say? The buck stops with me. And whether Donald Trump liked it or not, the buck stopped with him. He is responsible when this shit goes down. And when the pandemic did what it did, it's his fault. It's on him. Now, what I want to say to the young people, and I've said this before, but it bears repeating. And I've said this to my son, too. He's about 28. He's still at that stage where he's trying to figure out what direction he's going and uh, what he's going to do and how he's going to get there. We've all been in that position. You know, people go to college and they think, well, I'm going to do this for a living. But in almost every case of most people I know, they go to college thinking they're going to be something, but they end up being something totally different. When they get there, they realize, hey, this is cool. I'm happy with this. I'm good with this, even though it's nothing like I expected. And that's what I tell young people. I say, get on your path. Just start walking down the path, doing the things you need to do. Don't worry about where you're going to end up. Just keep doing the work now. You will naturally end up where you belong, whether you know about it or not. And when you get there, if you've done it right and put in the work, you'll be happy. You'll be content. You'll be taken care of. And for those young people, they need to understand something. The situation you have in the job market is an incredible opportunity. You have a larger and wider choice of jobs. Now, back in the day when I was looking for a job, it was much harder You had a million people applying for a job, and the chances of you getting that job are slim. I'll tell you a story. When I was 
relatively newly married. We had a had a kid, and we were struggling financially. I was doing shit jobs. My wife was trying to be a teacher, and she was in school, so we didn't have much money. I did have my experience in radio and my experience in communications, and a job came up at a local college. And it was a communications job, kind of like what Jen Psaki does on uh, on TV, but it was for the college, a big college. Now, the plus I had, I had a father-in-law who I got along very well with who had a high position in that college. And when the job opened up, I said to him, I'm going to apply. And he says, I'm going to help you out with this and try to get you in this thing. I want you making money, and I know you're qualified for this, so I'll help you out. So I go through the process, get interviewed a number of times. And uh, when it came down to it, I didn't get the job. And I was fucking absolutely crushed. I mean, I was desperate at that point. I needed money for my family, for my home. And I wasn't going to get it on this opportunity. And I had help. I had connections and I still didn't get it. I came in a close number two. And the guy beat me out. Maybe he was more qualified, but we were both kind of similar. Maybe they just liked him better or felt more comfortable with him. I don't know. I don't begrudge the guy for getting the job. He did a good job. He's probably retired now. But when that happened, I was broken. I thought, man, I can't catch a fucking break. If I can't get this job with the help of somebody on the inside, I don't have a prayer. I don't know where I'm ever going to make a decent amount of money. I don't know how I'm going to raise a family if I can't earn money. So I'm upset about this, but I keep trying to do what I'm going to do. And then about two months later, I get a call from the radio station where I ended up doing this traffic job. Now, this traffic job is nothing like I wanted to do. I'm a creative guy, and I didn't want to fucking do traffic. But when they called me, and I had a history with this company, um, they said, they said, look, here's the deal. It'll be a civil service job. You come in, you get the job, you'll get paid decently, you'll get benefits, you'll get health care, you'll get a retirement, you'll get all this shit. Now, even though I didn't like the idea of the job, I had to fucking take it. And it was something that was actually coming through to me. So I took the job, and while it wasn't something I wanted to do, I figured out a way to make it my own, you know? And after I was there, I realized this was a better position for me than the one I was crying about earlier. That's the kind of things that we older people have gone through. Now, what's going to happen to the younger people now is you've got options. You've got an opportunity. There is a shortage of workers, and it's not going to close up soon because the Baby boomers are retiring in large numbers, and that's going to leave open jobs. So if you're a young person or even a middle-aged person who's looking to make a change in their career, this is the opportunity you want. You'll be able to go after jobs you may not have been qualified for in the past because they need bodies, and they're willing to train you once you get in the job. The amount of money you're going to make is better because they've got to attract bodies for these jobs. So you have to understand, this is an incredible opportunity, an opportunity most of us never saw. So you've got to seize that opportunity, exploit that opportunity, 
and do the best you can. And don't worry about what you're going to be or where you're going to end up. If you do your work and you focus and you keep moving forward, you will end up where you need to be. All right, let's talk about uh, Ghislaine Maxwell. Have you heard that story? Well, Ghislaine Maxwell, of course, is Jeffrey Epstein's partner in pedophilia. She was convicted of five felonies, including child sex trafficking. This has got to be one of the biggest cases, one of the most abhorrent cases we've heard. Now, right after the conviction, Maxwell and her attorney appealed, as they do. Well, yesterday, the judge came back and upheld the conviction and denied her appeal. Well, that's a problem. If she can't appeal the case, she's running out of options. All she can do is await the sentencing. And understand, this sentence for five felonies and the type of felonies it is could put her in jail for decades. Now, keep in mind, Ghislaine Maxwell isn't a spring chicken anymore. She's kind of close to my age. You give her two or three decades in jail, which is conceivable, that's essentially a life sentence. So there's just one more thing that Ghislaine Maxwell can do. It's not going to save her. But all she can do at this point is negotiate. What she needs to try to do is shave some time off of whatever sentence she's going to get. She's still going to be in jail for a long time, but if she can cut it down from 20 to 10 years, well, maybe that's a little better. She won't die in jail. She'll be able to get out and spend her golden years free. Now, I don't know what kind of sentence she's going to get, but it's going to be big. It's going to be a lot. So if she doesn't want to die in prison, she needs to negotiate. And the question is, what are you going to negotiate? Well, the only thing she has is information. She needs to turn over information about this whole child pedophilia ring, because that's what it was. There was a lot of people involved in this that aren't being held accountable at this point. If she hopes to get out of jail before she dies, she needs to give up some information, and she probably needs to give up some fucking people. So this will be very interesting. We know there were a lot of people involved. We know there were a lot of people that went to that island. We don't know that they were all involved in criminal activities. But it would be nice to know, right? It would be nice to know if some of those people were involved in criminal activities and abusing young kids. We need to know about it. They might be some very important politicians that are in power right now. They may be movie stars or singers or whatever, comedians, whoever it is, that have done some horrific things. And we should be entitled to know this. If you can break up this ring by convicting the leader and his partner, we need to know who else is culpable in this situation. And the fact of the matter is, this is all Ghislaine Maxwell has. I'm open here. I'm not guaranteeing anything's going to happen, but if you're in Ghislaine Maxwell's situation and you're facing the rest of your life in jail and that desperation hits in, you're going to do just about anything to save something, to give yourself a little extra time. And I'm hoping what this does 
is gives her an opportunity to give up information we don't already have or haven't been allowed to hear. And it's going to she's going to give up people that we don't know were involved and did some horrific things. Now, it could be she sticks by her guns and just goes and dies in jail. That's conceivable. But I think about human nature, and uh, people have a tendency, they have a, they have a natural sense or a natural intent to save their lives. And at, right at this point, her life is hanging by a thread. It's going to be in jail forever for her. So conceivably, she'll come out and try to do something to get less time. It's not like she can go appeal it again or she can wait it out and do what Republicans do, you know, just cause it to cause, cause it to be a lot of time and maybe it'll go away. Her time is up right now. So she has to make some hard decisions right fucking now. So it's going to be interesting to see what kind of decisions she makes. The other aspect of this It'll be interesting to see if the legal system and the government allow her allow her to expose other things and other people. We know Jeffrey Epstein ended up dying in jail, and there's a lot of question whether he committed suicide or he was killed. I tend to think he was killed. When you have this many powerful people that could be exposed, that's not a bridge too far. It's not hard to imagine that they would figure out a way to get him killed. Now, the same problem could occur with Ghislaine Maxwell. Now, she's not given much away yet, so she's still been safe. And I'm sure they're paying close attention because they don't want to go through that embarrassment again. But if she decides to start talking, that could be a different story. I don't want Ghislaine Maxwell to be the end of the story. There's too much more to it. There's more people that need to be held accountable. And we need Ghislaine Maxwell to own up to it, maybe save herself some years and get some of these other people that are guilty exposed to the crimes they committed, for the crimes they committed. We'll see what happens. I don't have a lot of hope either way because we've been disappointed so many times before. But we've got to keep a positive outlook on this. We've got to assume that ultimately everything will come together and things will be better. And I'm hoping that is the case with Ghislaine Maxwell. All right, we're going to wrap things up for the Rational Boomer podcast. I want to thank you for taking the time you do to listen. Again, I want to encourage you to listen to the previous podcast, the one with our first guest, Ed Jones. It's an interesting show, and I'm interested to hear what you think. So you have a great day. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.